Hey, Hope City Church. I'm excited we get to spend the next few minutes together as we are starting a brand new series. Actually, it's not a brand new series. It's kind of a remix of a series called Thriving in Babylon. Thriving in Babylon. And we did this series, actually taught this to our church uh, back in 2015, uh, which was a long time ago. But just with everything that's going on right now in life and society and culture, I just felt like this was something that we needed to come back and revisit because there's some truths in the book of Daniel. That's what we're gonna be studying in the book of Daniel. There's some truths in Daniel that I believe are just so important and so relevant to where we're living and and what's happening in our lives right now. So that's what we're gonna do. Now, you probably or may be familiar with the, the story of Daniel. It's a book in the Old Testament. It's got a few of some of the most famous stories that maybe you learned uh, as a child. I'm not sure. There's Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe you're familiar with that. Um, Daniel was put in the lion's den for praying. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. Maybe you've heard about that. Um, but Daniel also has a lot of like end time prophecy towards the end of the book, which uh, maybe you've done a Bible study at some point at a church about that. But, but Daniel has a lot of, uh, of famous and well-known parts of, of the story. And what we're going to do is really kind of focus on the beginning part over these next three weeks uh, of Daniel's story. And, and we're going to take three weeks to study this book and, and try to answer the question, how can a Christian live confidently and passionately in a world that more and more doesn't seem to value what God values? How can a Christian live confidently and passionately in a world that more and more doesn't seem to value what God values? And a simpler way to say it would be like this. This is what we're going to be talking about is how does my faith affect my response to adversity? How does my faith affect my response to ad- adversity? And I feel like all of us need an answer to this question. And I feel like we need to be reminded of an answer. Sometimes we learn it maybe for the first time, maybe during this series, you're going to learn the answer to this question for the first time. But I think as Christians, we always need to be coming back to this question and being reminded of this question. Uh, How does my faith affect my response to adversity? Because we're going to face adversity. We're going to face situations that are scary, confusing. And how does our faith affect that? How, How does what we believe and what our hope is in Uh, affect that. And so we're going to take the next three weeks to answer that question. And to do that, I'm going to give you three qualities or three characteristics that I believe Christians should have no matter what. No matter what, if we are Christians, um, we should embody these three qualities or or characteristics, and we're going to take them right out of the story of Daniel. So are you ready? Okay, we're going to take them right out of the story of Daniel. And this week, we're going to talk about hope. Everybody say hope. We're going to talk about hope. And if our faith is in Jesus, no matter what we feel or face, we should have hope. And to, and to find this and learn this, we're going to look at the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 1. First seven verses. Let's read this together. Uh, Daniel chapter 1. I'd love for you to grab your Bible wherever you're watching this and, uh, and hang out with us a little bit. Daniel chapter 1. First seven verses, this is what it says. It says, during the, year, uh, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave a victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia. 
and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ash, I'm going to go with Ashpenaz, we'll just go with that, the, his chief of staff to bring, the palace, uh, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're all well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal, royal service. Verse 6, Daniel... Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, uh, Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we read this story. We read um, what happened to these, these kids. And it's easy sometimes to assume that it's not real, that's a fictional story, or maybe we think, well, that doesn't sound too bad, right? I mean, they're kind of living at the palace. They're getting kind of like a food portion. It doesn't, it doesn't sound that bad, but that's not what happened at all. This is not a summer abroad for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken captive because their people, their tribe, lost the war. They lost a war. And so they were forced to serve. So they weren't killed in the war. So the Babylonians then gathered up the, the people that they felt like they could get something out of, get value out of, and brought them back with them to Babylon. And at this time, Babylon was the most ungodly, evil place in history. Even to this day, people kind of reference Babylon as a, as a reference to something that's really, really bad. And so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken, and this is where they're living now. They're separated from their family. They're separated from their friends. They're separated from their heritage and their history and their schools and their neighborhoods. They're separated from all of it. And they are living in a place that doesn't value what they value. They're facing incredible adversity. I think this is an important place to stop and and. And, and just say that every generation that has ever lived feels as if the world is somehow kind of spiraling out of control. It's getting worse, right? Maybe you've heard your grandparents say that or your parents say that. Maybe you've said that. Uh, it seems like the older you get, the more that it feels like the world is getting out of control. And we can always kind of handpick a few things to say, see, look how much worse it's gotten. We can always kind of handpick that out. But I think it would be fair for us to say over the next three weeks, I think it would be fair for us to say, that what Daniel and his friends were going through was way worse than anything we've ever faced. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was awful. I'm going to give you just a couple of things that, that maybe we didn't pick up as we were reading it, but historically we know, all right? So just put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a second. He watched an evil enemy capture his city, his land. Um, that's probably something that none of us have ever faced. He watched an evil king destroy the temple, this is God's temple that his, his people valued and carry all the sacred things out. He was kidnapped. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but this happened to him. He was kidnapped and carried off as a captive. Uh, most historians believe, this is kind of gross, but most historians believe that he was castrated because whenever they would bring uh, people from other lands, they didn't want them hanging around the palace, like, you know, kind of being a dude. So they would, they would castrate them. They didn't want attractive leaders hanging around. Um, they were forced to study the occult, like in Babylon, you didn't get to choose from a lot of different things. Like you had to study what they studied and they were heavily into occults and things like that. 
And, and then the last thing we read is that Daniel had his name changed to Be, uh, Belteshazzar, which means favored by Satan. So they literally changed his name to mean favored by Satan. So can we just all admit, like, that's a bad couple of days? Like, that's a, that's a, that's a bad thing. So here's Daniel facing adversity, living in a place that doesn't value what he values, what his God values. But as we read this story and as we, as we go through this over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see Daniel, he doesn't act like maybe we tend to act or he doesn't act like the people we know tend to act. Now, how does he do that? Well, the key is in the first two verses. I want to go back and show these to you. The key is in the first two verses. Verses 1 and 2, let's look at those together. It says, During the third year uh, of the reign, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came. And look at this. He besieged it. The Lord gave him victory. Who did the Lord give victory? Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The Lord, our, our God, our Lord, gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the, uh, the things from the temple of God. Everything that we're going to talk about over these next three weeks comes back to this verse. This verse, right? That, that the Lord is the one who permitted Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to win the battle. The Lord is the one who permitted them to come into the temple and take the stuff. And as believers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God is in control of who is in control. We believe that God is in control of who is in control control. Daniel knew this. Daniel's, Daniel's faith was in this. Daniel understood that, that God was in control of who was in control, that Nebuchadnezzar would never be able to come in and, and do what he did to God's land, to God's people, to God's temple, if God didn't somehow allow this to happen. That God is in control of who's in control. That God wasn't caught off guard like, man, I didn't know they were going to attack today. You know, I, I wish I'd have known. I would have sent some angels. Like, I had no idea. No, God's in control of who's in control. Now, in one sense, that's amazingly comforting. In one sense, that's like, wow, I'm so glad that my hope is in that and my trust is in that. But in another sense, it causes a lot of questions, right? It doesn't help us understand the Holocaust any better. Wait a second, if God's in control of who's in control, what about all the people who died unjustly or, or unfairly? Or, and I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why God allows things to happen the way that he does. But what I do know is that during that time, God was not caught off guard. God wasn't scratching his head. God wasn't, God wasn't powerless. If you find yourself frustrated about why courts and politicians succeed in changing laws and going against what you believe, it can be incredibly frustrating to wonder why judges get to do that or politicians get to do that. And I, I can't necessarily give you an answer, but I can tell you that God is in control of who's in control. He's not scratching his head. He's not caught off guard. You may not like the president, your governor, your district manager, or your boss, your landlord. You may not like them. You may not understand why they get to have money and you don't, or they get to have property or you don't, or they get to be in charge, but you don't. But here's what we can be sure of. We see it in the story of Daniel. And we see it all throughout the Bible that God is in control of who's in control. And that's where our hope comes from. I don't know how we would be able to have hope. We wouldn't be able to have any hope if we felt like God got his news at the same time we got our news. 
that, that somehow God was always having to improvise, you know? Like, he'll figure out a way to make it good, but, you know, he's having to really make something out of a mess here because he, he, he was caught off guard. That's not the way that it works. We don't have to worry or wonder if God is up to date on everything that's happening. No matter how terrible it feels like it is, it's not outside of God's control. So that's, that's where we, we find hope. This is the first quality, the first characteristic of people whose faith is in Jesus Christ is that when everything else maybe feels hopeless, the Christian should have hope. When the world feels like it's losing control, the Christian should have hope. When everyone is losing their minds, Christians should have hope. Well, how could we have hope? Jason, if you saw the stack of bills on my counter, if you saw the news report, if you'd have clicked on that article that I clicked on, if you'd have listened to my you know, brother-in-law at dinner last night, like you wouldn't have hope. We can have hope because God is in control of who's in control. And we believe that and we trust that. But here's what I found in my life is that we can know that that's true, but still struggle to feel hope because instead of feeding ourselves and feeding our mind and feeding our faith with the things that we need to have more hope, we, we tend to do the opposite of that. It's kind of like this. I brought a, I brought a balloon with me. Okay. So we're going to go a little object lesson here, but imagine that this balloon is, is my hope in, in a chaotic time. And so I go to church and you know, it's a good service and I'm filled up with faith and I'm filled up with hope or I'm in a Bible study. So I'm filled up with faith. I'm filled up with hope and you know, everything's good. So I'm going to, we're going to be full of, full of hope. Okay. So we've got our hope, right? And we're, we're feeling fine. We're not worried. We're not, we're not, you know, spazzing out. We're not getting crazy. We're not doing anything like that. But then we have a conversation or we check our text messages in the morning or we click on a link, or we watch the news, and little by little, yeah, I know God's in control, who's in control, but man, I'm just not sure about fill in the blank. I'm not sure. I talked to my friend, and she said, my boss said they're about to lay off, and I'm just not sure. And gradually, a little at a time, we leak hope. You ever felt that way? You're just leaking hope, right? Like, you're, you're not anxious, but then one conversation, and you're anxious. By lunch, you're, you're deflated or afraid or, or worried. It's not just about the knowledge that God is in control. It's also about what we focus on, what we think about, what we talk about. And if we do not feed our minds and our heart with, with the things that we need to be, if we're not intentional about that, then of course we're not going to feel hope or have hope. Of course it's not going to be able to have confidence or our passion in, in, in this world. And I want to show you what I mean. We're going to look at a, a scripture, a couple of scriptures, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read where it says 5, 6, 7, and 8. Philippians 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And it's going to really highlight how we can keep our balloon filled with hope, our hearts filled with hope, all right? Philippians 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is what uh, it says. It says, let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you, tell God what you need and thank him uh, for all that he's done. Then you're going to experience peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So this is, this is exciting and inspirational. And then Paul's going to close this up and he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. 
One final thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to have peace, but I'm going to give you one final thing. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I love this phrase, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. It sounds like we need to fix them because they're broken, right? Now, I know fix means focus on, but it, it does kind of feel as if I, I've always, most of my life, uh, I've driven old cars, you know, and there's just like a lot of times you start hearing noise, like you have no confidence. When you, anybody ever driven a car, you just have no confidence. <laughs> and you're like, man, you just crank it thinking I got to fix something. Well, sometimes our minds can be kind of like that old beat up car, you know, and I love that. I love this idea that I can fix my thoughts. I need to fix them because they're broken. And Paul tells us how, how do I fix my thoughts? He tells us, focus on eight things. And I just pulled them out of the verse and I'm going to throw them up here for you. He says, focus on what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, this is a crazy list, okay? This is a crazy list because if I told you that you could only think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, what would you think about? <laughs> if I told you you could only text about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, this would rule out like almost all the memes, right? Like <laughs> you, you, you can only talk at dinner with your relatives about things that are true and noble. You can only share articles on social media that are true. No, you see what I'm saying? Do you know what would happen if this was your standard for communication, text, thinking, praying? You know what would happen? You'd have hope. You'd have hope. You'd be filled up with hope because you wouldn't be allowing things to come in and to deflate your balloon, your heart of this hope that you have. But what most of us do, we don't really mean to, but what most of us do is we let in thoughts and conversations and information that are the opposite of what Paul told us to do. Hope leaks when I focus on things that are false, wrong, impure, ugly. You understand what I'm saying? But if I can fix my thoughts on things that are true, and noble and right. And listen, this is hard work. It's hard work to think about what you're thinking about. It's hard work to stop yourself before you relay information. It's hard work to sometimes figure out if the thing that someone just shared with you is actually true and accurate, or if it's just meant to get a click or to make you afraid. These things are, it's hard work to do this, but what happens is you begin to set these standards in your life. And the next thing you know, you're experiencing peace. You're experiencing peace. You have hope because you know God's in control of who's in control and the thoughts and the, and the things that you're letting into your mind are true and worthy of praise and excellent and admirable. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. We're getting started on this three-week series together. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you for seven days, seven days. It's a really long time, right? It's not long at all when you're on vacation, but when you're dieting, it's a really long time, right? And so seven days, I'm asking you to, to take a challenge to what I'm, what I'm calling turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. And here's what I mean. I can't 
tell you exactly what the things are in your life that are robbing you of hope, of confidence, of passion. I, I, I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are. I don't know what yours are. But you know what they are. And so I'm going to challenge you for seven days to fix your thoughts. So maybe that means getting off social media. And you don't have to tell everybody you're getting off. You know, maybe you got one of those friends like, I'm getting off, you know, <laughs> turn it off, never coming back. And then three days later, maybe, maybe that's you, I don't know. But you don't have to tell everybody. You can just get off, delete the app off your phone if you want to do that. Um, maybe it's social media. Um, maybe it's certain group texts that you're on, you know. They don't mean bad, but like there are friends in your life that they just don't know how to spread good news, you know. Maybe you get out of some texts or block some numbers on your phone. Maybe you stop watching the news. Maybe you stop watching press conferences every night, day from politicians or whatever it is. And here's what you're gonna find, okay? Because I've, I've done this myself and, and this is just true. We know, here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find that the world moves on and that your life can be positive and faith-filled and confident and passionate and your faith can be built and the same things that were happening before you turned off the noise are happening after you turned off the noise, but you feel completely different because you're fixing your thoughts. You're trusting that God's in control of who's in control. So if, you know, whatever God wants to have happen or allow happen, like I'm gonna let God handle the stuff that I can't understand. And I'm gonna focus on fixing my thoughts and understanding on what's coming into my life. And my filter is gonna be, is it true? Is it something that's noble? Is it something I'd like want to tell my grandma? <laughs> you know, is it is it right? Is it is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? These are the filters and the standards that we're going to be using so that we can experience hope. That that our faith, when we're facing adversity, doesn't have to fail. We can have confidence and passion. So I'm going to pray for us. I want to pray for you that we can have hope no matter what we're facing, where we're living, what we're going through, what we're feeling. I wanna pray for you at home or wherever you're watching that you can experience that hope. Will you bow your heads wherever you're at and pray with me? God, thank you that you're in control of who is in control. Thank you, God, that I don't have to worry about, you know, who's my boss or my supervisor or in charge, politicians. But God, I can put my hope and my trust and my faith in you because you're never caught off guard. You're never late. You're never improvising. God, you are in control. And so God, while I allow you to handle what you can and do control, I pray that you would help me to control what I can control. And that's my thoughts and my conversations and the information that I'm taking in so that I can, can have hope in you and trust in you and not leak and lose that hope that, that you have, have given me. So God, I pray that you would give us the courage to turn off the noise, to break some patterns, maybe some addictions, some things that we don't even know that we're gonna struggle to get away from. But God, help us to turn off the noise, to fix our thoughts, and to experience more confidence and more hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.